1: folks, welcome to some Podcast. I am Mark and this is... Christopher. <laughs> and we're joined
2: by... Rebecca Yurivna Feinberg.
1: Привет, Rebecca.
2: Привет. Привет,
3: So, as touted last week, we are going to discuss a Russian band, um, bizarrely known as Short Paris... don't fucking know what the fuck that name's about short Paris um, but an opportunity arose um, Rebecca is both a musician and an academic in related disciplines uh, Rebecca you want to tell us a little bit about yourself
2: sure I make write produce compose perform electronic music I played a gig on Tuesday here in Glasgow and I uh, was a professor of music technology for six years at New York University in their music technology program and um, Hofstra University in Long Island and Ramapo College of New Jersey. So I taught courses on um, fundamentals of audio engineering, classes on MIDI and synthesis. And uh, my specialty is audio preservation and restoration of old audio formats. So... Um, specifically wax cylinders and any kind of grooved media i don't deal with tape mm-hmm. but um yeah so i i have a kind of a an academic background on the music tech side and then also um
3: you also carry about very cool little magnetic synths called, mm-hmm. what was it called little bits
2: yeah uh, little, little bits uh made with cork um that's what i used in my performance on tuesday
3: yeah so just before we start recording uh my flatmate who occasionally gets a mention on this show, Luigi, wandered in and Rebecca spilled these things on the table like Lego and it was honestly like watching a kid in a ball pool for about 20 minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're awesome. Um, and so there's a number of things you bring into the table in this episode because we're discussing a Russian band. You can help us with some of the Cyrillic. That's that's very much appreciated. Um, but you can also, more importantly, I would say help us with a lot of the context and some of the background. Um... You yourself are American?
2: Correct. Full disclosure, I am first generation American. My parents came to the United States from what was then the Soviet Union in 1979, so i can't exactly help you with all the translation mm-hmm. i can advise on how i think things will sound in russian with an american accent mm-hmm. um but i tried to do a little um you know of my homework before the show and i even got some insight from my parents who who gave me some intel on um, what the translations of of the song titles and some of the
3: lyrics of the songs could be referring to thanks in advance to uh, mr and mrs feinberg for that <laughs> Uh, Your dad, uh, Yuri, uh, who gives you your middle name, I believe that's how that works, right?
2: Yeah, the the Russian patronymic middle name gets the masculine or feminine suffix added to it. So for my stage name, I go by my first and middle name, uh, Rebecca Yurivna.
3: Yurivna. So uh, Yuri Feinberg is an author, and actually I have his book just sitting across the room there, uh, The Child of Gulag, which, I mean, what is that book detail?
2: So... My dad grew up in Siberia in what was called Gulag. And uh, it's an internment camp for political prisoners. He wasn't a prisoner of the camp. His mother was the resident physician. So um, he grew up as a child in this setting and had an incredible life there because he was directly connected to the brightest, most intelligent thinkers uh, that were sent there. And um, the book came about because I made a passing joke in high school one day about the fairy tales he used to tell me about, the boy in the white snow who would go hunting for bears to make bear soup. (laughs) and. Who, who rescued two um, wolf cubs when the mother wolf was shot by the the village hunter, uh, no, the village guard. And how he- You were ra-
3: making uh, <laughs> bunny ears there. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> very very commas from. Well,
2: I, I, I put the air quotes on village because it was a gulag. Yeah. You know, okay. so <laughs> the fairy tale version. So he he told me all these, you know, beautiful, like, folk tales that I thought were folk tales and then he said, "No, that was all true, and it wasn't a, a nice, cute little village. It was actually a hard, ho- horrible place,
3: like in Siberia."
2: Yeah. So I said, "No way!" And you have to write a book. So I wrote the first chapter for my high school English class, mm-hmm. and then he he sat down, and um, it's a stream of consciousness. So he wrote he wrote it like from beginning to end. And um sometimes it's it's, you know, dense with lots of descriptions of history and architecture and science. It's not exactly um, you know, uh, novel, but uh it's it's a story that starts out with his um childhood in the Gulag and then what happened after Stalin died. Uh, oh, I guess for context. My dad was born in nineteen forty three during the Siege of Leningrad. Mm-hmm. So he was in this gulag until mid 1950s and then the the book goes on to detail um many other vicissitudes and uh, things that happened leading up to coming to america mm-hmm. so
3: yeah stalin died in 53 right so your dad was 10 years old at that point it's yeah it's really fascinating i'm not i've not finished it yet cause i only recently got hold of it but yeah really really interesting and i think you can't really talk about a modern russian artist of any description let alone a modern russian artist with a fair amount of politics in their work without acknowledging the context in which that sits and the, the context the immediate context as well of you know russia's invasion of ukraine we're recording this on the first anniversary uh, of the that. day after yeah yeah, day after But uh, it feels particularly poignant right now as a result So that wasn't planned um, We actually, I, I want to make sure uh, As a shout out, one of our listeners, Grant Donaldson I want to thank him for introducing me to this band uh, Grant sent us a link to something he thought we'd like And uh, I really fell down a, a rabbit hole with this group Um I really really quickly got into them So just to return to that We'll touch on a lot of the things uh, that Rebecca's mentioned As we go through this But to to get the episode kind of off and running What is or who are Short Paris It's all one word by the way oh. it's a good question um because they're really really hard to classify three words that come to my mind or three phrases that come to my mind labels would be post-punk electronic and maybe anti-pop uh mark what did you think because you got thrown in the deep end with this band
1: (laughs) post-punk is definitely i mean it's probably explains my reaction to be honest (laughs) post-punk is definitely close to that you're notoriously a big fan Um, of post-punk and they're quite experimental places There's, there's definitely some traditional sounds in there. as mm-hmm. a recording in some of these songs? Yeah. Sounds definitely. Like, or definitely is. So it's quite, it makes for quite an interesting sonic palette for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I would say post-punk and experimental is probably
3: quite close to the mark. Yeah. Rebecca, you any initial thoughts on how you might label these folks if you were trying to quickly close someone in?
2: Um, it's funny because there were some moments in throughout the record where they kind of went into a doom kind of jam band territory. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a lot of Blending of acoustic and electronic instruments, so I I, I think post punk is a very easy label to put on it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't,
3: but it is easy. You agree? <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's easy to slap that post punk label because um, it's certainly not dark wave. Um,
1: yeah, definitely not. That's more like power right? We did. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was, that was nothing like
3: that. <laughs>
2: yeah, you can't put wave on the end of any word to, to describe this band.
3: Yeah, Soviet wave. Uh, I was. Just- <laughs> 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 yeah um i would say some other things that really uh fit with this band are subversive uh and progressive and i mean progressive not just in a musical sense but i think progressive in a sort of ideological sense uh there's a lot going on in them that we'll unpack and, and personally from what i now know about them i would say fucking brave as as far as artists go um but they're not alone in that sense and we'll bring some other names to the table as well i th- i have to say they whether or not they actually are post-punk uh i think they definitely qualify as closely as any band has in recent memory to my own personal definition of the word punk which i realize is very very subjective but for a band to be uh so driven to do their own thing because sonically it's very distinct but also to be so willing to sacrifice their own sort of mental health and well-being to pursue a political agenda. And we don't just mean in, you know, like 1980s Britain where Thatcher's a bit of a cow and, you know, the the miners are getting a hard time. But we mean in Russia now, you know, Russia, which has next to no independent media. Russia, where people take your phone off you in the street and check your messages. And if your messages say the wrong things, you get taken to jail Russia now, which is really uh, something pretty distinct, distinct even from other, you know, other oppressive regimes around the world, because, yeah, it's got a special character to it. Um, The band formed in St. Petersburg uh, in 2012. Uh, St. Petersburg, by the way, was previously known as Petrograd. It later became Leningrad in honour of Lenin. But... The the context, that the world that these, these young men grew up in and the world that they became musicians in, I think is really relevant. So if you'll indulge me, I do want to really just, from my perspective at least when I listen to this music, this is what I think of when I think of Russia. And if we start in Short Paris' hometown, it maybe uh, helps us get moving. So St Petersburg is also Vladimir Putin's home city. Um, it's it's known as Russia's cultural centre. So whilst Moscow is the capital now, St Petersburg is like the creative hub for for artists and stuff. And I think in some ways, you know, there's some parallels. Well, I mean, Edinburgh is the capital of Scotland. And Edinburgh is a beautiful place, but Glasgow is. I would say a little bit richer. It doesn't have the festival, but it's certainly got a more year-round productivity and a far, far bigger reputation for things like music and art. Um, I think St. Petersburg is also, importantly, the historic origin point for what we consider m- modern Russia. Um, other than the, a short period in the 18th century, uh, it was a capital for most of Russia's hi- modern history. Um, the Bolsheviks obviously moved it to Moscow in 1918. Um it's founded by Peter the Great and named after St. Peter, and he was... Uh, a quote western looking Tsar uh, and sought to kind of adopt aspects of German culture and German features into the name. In contrast it was renamed to Petrograd in 1914 basically at the behest of Tsar Nicholas II because war broke out with Germany and they wanted to kind of erase a lot of like German cultural elements that they found and And this matters because the ideological tug of war around the name St. Petersburg I think is emblematic of a much greater feature in Russian culture because are they westward facing or the, the connotations of that also being, you know, pro-democratic, culturally open, modernising. Um, you know, three quarters of Russia's population lives on our side, our side being, you know, U- Europe, Western Europe side of the Euro mountains uh, on what they call the North European Plain. And that matters a lot, you know, because one sixth of the planet's territory, land, is taken up by this country, but the vast majority of that is populated by people who feel overlooked in favour of the cosmopolitan Russians, the Muscovites, uh, you know, and the, the people that live in St Petersburg, I don't know what ites they are. <laughs> um, uh, for many of those people, they feel kind of Eastern looking, or at least I would say they, they feel not part of Western culture and at odds with a lot of Western beliefs. Uh, if you see the Russian coat of arms, it's like a two-headed eagle and the idea being that you have to look both West and east on it so it's a really deep rooted part of Russian culture but I'm thinking
1: you know, that St Petersburg is quite a European sort of city because architecturally for sure like I've heard I've never actually been but compared to Moscow anyway
2: yeah Peter the Great hired an Italian to design the city it's built on canals so it was you know he chose this kind of swamp land mm. to, to make this western facing capital and build institutions and it is where the hermitage is and um yeah it is it's very western whereas moscow is kind of designed by russians
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> by by russians for russians yeah it's
2: <laughs> by, yeah exactly <laughs> it's the russian fubu yeah. <laughs>
3: Um, that quarter of the population that live east of the Ural's, though, as, as well as feeling, o- feeling overlooked, just you know, in terms of the representation and popular culture and things, that there are far more complex reasons too. Because lifespans are short, poverty is really abundant. They feel kind of shunned by the world in general in a lot of ways. Well, the um, world
2: and their own government, yeah, their own people. The roads aren't paved. They they have they don't have resources. They're left to fend, you know, and help themselves while paying respect to this
3: place. Yeah, it's exactly the abject failure of consecutive governments, like for centuries, but certainly for the last hundred and odd years, has landed them in a pretty awful situation. Yet a lot of that has... Often being portrayed as you know the result of Western malfeasance, it's a big aspect of Russian, uh, you know, a, a big narrative within certainly Russian power structures, and that's only possible really. And so this is where this starts to become relevant to this band and the culture they're coming up in. It's only possible due to an acute and prevalent information poverty that has enabled those regimes to strongly influence our public opinion. I think it goes without saying to most listeners of the podcast and most people that are just aware of the news. Now, uh, um, the sort of plurality of opinions that we might take for granted are, are not the norm in Russia. And nor have they ever been, really, ever. It's not like it's suddenly you know, not acceptable, and it once was. There is no real Halcyon day with regards to Russian free speech. There were moments. There were certainly moments. Um, The policies of Glasnost, which translates as openness, and Perestroika, which I think is roughly reconstruction. Am I right in saying that, Rebecca? Uh, That arrived with Mikhail Gorbachev were were definitely causes for optimism, but they were short-lived. And right now, we're not really in a moment of hope. Um, I think some would probably say that Russia's entered the age of a new czar. From having read a fair bit about it I think it's a bit more of a hybrid I think uh, it's almost a mafia-esque Authoritarian kleptocracy they've got Uh, It's a country that was slowly stolen From its own people by gangsters And I think they now very cynically blend features Of the western democratic process You know, paying lip service to that A bit of Chinese authoritarianism Some hyper-capitalism Because they're super rich and love it and Moscow is absolutely One of the most expensive cities in the world Exactly And and strewn with fucking limousines And all kinds of showy capitalism um, There's also a lot of cultural nationalism uh, and, and Putin They've got a president Or is it a prime minister? Why not both? Who's blended his favourite parts I think of both the communist And fascist political traditions To slowly get this stranglehold in his country And in doing that he's, he's been able to do that By keeping his critics Either disorientated Jailed murdered Um, he's he's, he's a man who gives away his true agenda I think when he openly looks back in the fall of the USSR um, which let's remember was an event celebrated by most right thinking people across Europe and the world but he looks back in it as quote the greatest geopolitical tragedy of the last century Um, and he's a leader that rewrites the electoral rules every four years to stay in power uh, you know just as he's tried to bend the rules of elections in other countries to his own you know, his own will, we know about levels of interference in American politics with Brexit. Um, it, it's been there. And the notion that it wasn't state-sanctioned in a country like Russia, the, no- the notion that the IRA in Russia wasn't instructed to do what it did by Putin is, is pretty laughable, I think. It is a country as well that, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the word drunk, it's a country with a drinking problem. I mean, who doesn't? Mm. <laughs> but a country drunk on a fictional historical glory uh, it, it has a s- a similarities to kind of 1930s Germany in that way Like all these tall vokish tales Of like their predestination Their roles as white saviours Things like that um, It's a country perpetually beset by problems Due to corruption and mismanagement But with an like, honestly An almost pioneering and consistent legacy of scapegoating everybody right through from the Jews to the Kulaks to the Ukrainians to the Armenians to Americans to journalists to the Ukrainians again, and of course, recently, the LGBT community. Um, so, in Russia's economy, currently languishes due to subterfuge of americans and traitors within their midst and that has a lot of historical parallels as well because the communists used to call them wreckers that was a, a big part of you know communist governance was that the reason these things aren't working is not because the system isn't fit for purpose it's because there's wreckers there's unknown uh, saboteurs within our midst and we need to weed them out and that's exactly why those those gulags ended up so fucking populated and so many people went missing Um, Russia is to some extent I think life imitating and refining art because Orwell wrote *Scathing* 1984 and Animal Farm with the USSR very much in mind but the system that he described in those books I think now seems laughably clunkily primitive compared to the, the sort of head spinning amorphous state that Putin has created. Um, you know, because in Russia, journalists and oligarchs fall out of windows like fucking acorns And groceries disappear from shelves whilst oligarchs buy streets in London Political opponents lie dead outside the Kremlin or in hospital beds suffering from radiation poisoning And yet, and techni- this is the thing, they're not... Something that distinguishes them from these other regimes is that technology has never been more perfectly realised as a tool of oppression. They're not primitive in that sense. In fact, they're arguably the world's foremost applier of technology for political ends. Cascades of falsehoods infect the global bloodstream, uh, courtesy of Russia. Um, And as a writer called Peter Pomerantsev quoted in an excellent book of the same name, nothing is true and everything is possible. So it seems like living in Russia, you would have an acute perpetual awareness of this. But life for Russian citizens is something that I think we don't fully appreciate. If you stop a member of the public in the street and ask them why their country might have invaded their neighbour, there's still a very, very high chance to tell you it was undertaken to combat corruption or fascism. So it's it's into this absolutely tumultuous, warped world that um, a band like Short Paris emerged. And just... The more I engaged with this band, the more I saw their videos, the more I read their interviews. I just like, how does a young, free minded, uh, liberally inclined artist in modern Russia out of any discipline function without constantly relying on those so same moral compromises and the kind of mental gymnastics that their fellow country folk need to do just to avoid fucking screaming and dropping to the floor every day? Somehow, this band do. Uh, for how long? Who knows? But the way to tempt fate. The uh, one of the members, I think it was a singer, was arrested uh, during an anti-war protest recently and eventually released. But it's 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 a frightening prospect for me to try and be. I mean, I, I just it really reminded me how much we take for granted our ability to dissent in this country, because that ability to dissent for them is a genuine threat to health and well-being. Um as far as i understand that
1: there are a lot of russian people that are quite happy to let the government just get on with it right whatever that is as long as they don't need to get too involved in politics they're pretty happy Mm
3: -hmm.
1: it's really hard to put yourself in in the russian mindset because it's just a lot of things that i see about the ukrainian war at the moment is that well a lot of western journalists often fall into traps of trying to predict what it must feel like to be what russians or what, what what a right person a right thinking person would think about the war but obviously, the, the Russian mindset is vastly different. Like, that Eastern mindset is just like, just like so much different from the Western mindset. Like, and a lot of people, a lot of journalists, in particular, don't seem to take that into consideration. You know, when they're writing all these pieces, they don't, they, they never really think like to put themselves in the shoes of a completely different, like, ideological position, like like you get in Russia. So, I guess all all of that has to say is like honestly can't fathom what it must be like like it just is completely the, the ideology the the culture is just much more different than i think we can even
3: comprehend because it has a veneer of normality doesn't it it kind of looks russian it looks it looks western yeah, it does you know exactly. by design and that's it we know? just think oh, it must be roughly the same you know what i mean and uh, trying to understand the motivation of these in this case five young men uh, to take that on was was really interesting it's a huge task i mean, you're talking about Russian depoliticisation, basically, like, Russia doesn't really seek so much to brainwash its masses as it does to just completely disorientate them and, and fatigue them to the point of surrender. It's it's not so much apathy, since I think they're, no, they're a notoriously passionate and often volatile people, Don't, no offence intended, Rebecca, mm-hmm. you know, but see revolutions. Um, and Russia, they they're, they're the king of revolutions. French too. Yeah, I'm that's French, true. That's right. um, mm-hmm. But I think rather when when reality, as it is in Russia, is so subjective, then even debate and conversation becomes really arduous. I think we all started to appreciate this, maybe partly because of Brexit for us and partly because of Trumpism in the States, that the fake news phenomenon, you know, everything is plausibly deniable or d- deniably plausible. Change can't actually take place without... Uh, discourse and consent. And I think the very act of meaningful discourse almost becomes impossible. Like you dam the river of discourse when, when you, you undermine the foundations of it. So, like, people spend so much energy just trying to agree on a starting point of objective reality now that they, they literally have no energy left for the subsequent conversation once it comes up. And Russian vox pops and things really back this up. Um, uh, a Statistica, a, Statista, sorry, a Statista poll of Russian citizens in 2019 showed the following, and these numbers are uh, incredible. 41% of Russians describe themselves as following political news but don't participate. 27% describe themselves as completely indifferent also described themselves as do not like politics and avoid it and 3% struggled to answer. So 3% of the Russian population in 2019 described being both engaged and actively taking part in any form of politics. Now I'd imagine there's probably been a fair bit of drift uh, since the the invasion of Ukraine, but that's not uh, yeah some some of the some of the commentators who are Russian say that
1: there's not really been that much Drifter's still that deep politicised like mass that are like if you don't interfere
3: directly in day to day life, then have at it yeah i mean uh, even anecdotally i mean i follow a, a, an excellent youtube account called uh, 1420 which is a kind of vox pop thing run by a, a, a like a young journalist in russia and he goes around different cities and towns and rural areas just posing provocative questions and then just letting the public speak and if you watch enough of it it becomes this really staggering data set it's really dismaying you know because you do often you obviously get people that say common sense things mm-hmm. but you you begin to realize what a minority they're in. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of people that are just too scared to speak as well. And that manifests in their elections. And and even if it didn't manifest in their elections, would the results reflect the votes? Because that's another problem with Russia now. How how fair is the election counting that's going on? Um, You know, they claimed their electoral turnout in 2021 was 51%, but they've long been a thing of ridicule. Way back they were being investigated by independent monitors. And... I mean, I, I guess that's maybe unlikely to change as well, given the jailing of any viable opposition to United Russia or Vladimir Putin right now. And so as a result, Short Paris kind of inject politics back into uh, the personal, I think, at every opportunity they get. Alongside the politics that they're putting into their music, I think it's also really interesting to, to, to read their interviews, because some of them are, frankly, fairly humbling Um some people have used the word pretentious, uh, I think that's fair if you're feeling unkind, but they're, they're highly educated, thoughtful, emotional young men and I think reading their words only adds to, to a lot of what they produce. Um, for example, in a Clash interview in 2020, their opening gambit reads, The contradiction between form and its intelligible meaning, between rational structure and irrational core, is imprinted on every single action committed by Short Paris. Not really something that Stereophonics are going to be saying anytime soon. Um does that sentence have any meaning? <laughs> you'd have to you'd have to parse it a fair bit. Um Sasha gave an interview to Metal Magazine EU discussing uh, the need for brave modern art, as well as the myth that formal training or education is required to arrive at graceful artistic conclusions. And he did that by highlighting an anecdote by a guy called Carlo Ginsburg about a medieval miller who decided reality was a slab of cheese and God had found his way inside as the bottom is doing cheese. This is this is a genuine thing. Um, and he, he then went on uh, through his life to build an entire, like, fully realized cosmogony and philosophy around it and I think like Sasha's point was like people who reject rules and formal tropes are just as capable of curious and amazing feats in art or elsewhere you don't have to arrive through formal training for your results to be elegant and I don't think the stuff that they they say, whether it's philosophically based or whether it's politically based, is just glib protest pop or posturing. Um, they bring a lot of good historic literary references to the table, alongside a lot of insight, a lot of artistic reflection, and then they temper it with a genuine moral indignance and a wee bit of understated fury, A wee bit of like punk fury. One example would be the video for a track which whose title translates as "Thus the Steel Was Tempered." <laughs> Which is the title track from the third record. It features a young man who initially is staring at, uh, presumably, his father's portrait in military uniform. And then as the video unfolds, the boy, who's a young soldier himself, goes on a violent rampage, first attacking his fellow conscripts, and the survivors of his attacks then applaud him. And then he moves on to murder. Then he goes and plays a first-person per- kind of violent shooter game at a club. Then he heads home and commits suicide under his father's portrait. And that's this video by this alternative pop band really fucking digging right into that Russian machismo and and military uh, mythology.
2: Do you think they were inspired by Prodigy's Smack My Bitch Up music (laughs) video?
3: Hell of a lot of parallels there. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
3: And, you know, it's not entirely explicit. But it is you know, like extremely subversive And there's a strong cultural commentary there And then in the same uh, vein uh, Two weeks into the invasion of Ukraine They dropped a video for the track Apple Orchard um, Which is a reworking of the song To feature a choir of Russian military veterans Singing the main hook And it's this this one, unlike the electronic original one Is set starkly against a snowy backdrop With a really sombre piano refrain and accordion And it kind of drags the song back in time With these old men and the accordion and the minimalism And these, the, the men in this choir fought the Nazis, and in an interview with a German magazine, Nikolai the vocalist said, um, we felt an urgent need to create something socially meaningful and send a message to our audiences at home regarding the time following the Ukraine invasion. Uh, he did say though that a lot of the men that were in that choir, quote, didn't agree with their ideas and with the lyrics of the song, uh, and hence didn't take part, but he still offered a special thanks to the men that chose to, despite knowing the points that the band were making. When he was asked if they felt safe and weren't afraid of repression, he'd, he'd reacted, I'm definitely safer here in my room in St. Petersburg than the people in Ukraine. So what underpins this determination? Like, um, music is a form of rebellion in Russia and the USSR, Rebecca. You've got some knowledge of this, um, basically to give us some touchstones. One of the most well-known for us is obviously Pussy Riot <laughs> Um, Who have continued to be really outspoken Since the invasion of Ukraine Uh, One that's maybe lesser known would be the composer uh, Prokhor Protosov He was sentenced to five years in absentia Last year for social media posts Five years in Russian jail For social media posts Reporting about atrocities in Ukraine And he's, he's currently in Canada and can't go home and even veterans have shown insubordination beyond just that choir. Um, I don't know how they actually pronounce it, but VDV Shniki, its initials first, look it up, uh, is 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 like a veteran protest group, uh, like a band uh, with songs such as Airborne Troops Against Putin. <laughs> <laughs> There are examples of musical rebellion throughout the society, but they are isolated because it's fucking high stakes. And going back, like the USSR had a long history of protest within the arts and music, literature, like prescribed literature it was called samizdat. And has always been prevalent, um, but uh, illicit records and performances were also common historically. Rebecca, did Russia have, uh, did the USSR have a history of like uh, pirate radio, things like that?
2: Well, I don't know about pirate radio, but I know that. My dad spoke about how he would use his shortwave radio to get Voice of America coming in from Alaska. Mm. That he was so close, you know, from Siberia to Alaska that he would work out his radio to, to get that music to come in. Um, but in, uh, from my knowledge, I'm not quite sure about pirate radio like,
3: like how it is in the Western world. You'd, you'd also mentioned to me about uh, these kind of approved cover versions...
2: Yeah, so it was difficult for people in Soviet Union during the 60s, 70s um, to access Western culture uh, via music. And some some of the ways that they could get their hands on rock and roll records was via Polish groups that were covering those songs
0: when you know I'm
2: dull. So I asked my mom and dad before coming on the show, you know, was it was was Western decadent music censored? was it you know, was it forbidden? And they said that it just wasn't manufactured. And then I asked, you mean distributed? And I'm, I'm trying to think of a time when distribution was in a completely different state than it is today, because nowadays it's so easy to distribute things that are made all over the world. But if you think about those times when records had to be pressed in their country that they would be sold in, it's a different story. So anyway, lots of Western music would come in via American tourists, who would also bring things like denim jeans mm-hmm. and chewing gum? Chewing gum was a premium, mm-hmm. <laughs> apparently. Why? Also, because uh, oh, Americans chew gum, oh, okay. you know, <laughs> and and they just didn't have it.
3: They didn't have a lot. So I always understood it was Levi's, like they were fucking crazy for Levi's.
2: Levi's and Led Zeppelin. Um, <laughs> so you may have heard of the, the Bones records uh, that were...
3: Yeah, this, so we spoke about this again, I think it was in a Nexus. So Tell us about this. this. These are x-rays, right?
2: Yeah, so records would be cut. Um, so the, the actual grooves would be transferred onto... Music would be transferred from one record onto another, uh onto a, a piece of plastic you know x-ray and would give you about 20 plays and it was the way to get music to people and it was very much sold underground um including by my dad <laughs> um, Good work, Gary. yeah he's he said his first record that he ever got was bill haley's rock around the clock <laughs> in, the, in the early 60s Not
1: the Polish Bill Haley <laughs>
2: No, the real Bill Haley
1: It's very quintessentially American That song as well,
3: isn't it? Yeah Yeah,
2: yeah so
3: It's total diner music, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Um, yeah, so I remember hearing an anecdote uh, uh, From a young woman on a podcast about Who used to break into the backs of hospitals To steal those x-rays And the, the punishments were severe Because they were circulating prohibited materials But yeah, they used to break into these places And steal uh, these x-rays Because they- the, the x-ray plastic was just per- Perfect. It was thick enough and durable enough, right?
2: Just thick enough, but then the stylus would eventually cut its way through the um, the groove. Mm. But a lot of it was also for um, economical reasons, because records were available, limited numbers, limited titles, but the thing is, they would cost a month's wage. One month's salary would be the cost of one vinyl record.
3: Fucking really better like Bill Haley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: But the, the thing is, then uh, the distribution, you know, the democratization uh, and people rebelling against not having access to music. And let's say it would still cost, you know, about a quarter of a month's salary for one of these mm. X-ray records.
3: Do you think it stunted their growth musically? Do you think they were all, always well behind? There
2: is this chunk of time of worldwide music development that is just missing from the collective memory and consciousness of the Russian people. So I've only been to R- Russia two times in my life. So when I speak about w- how Russia is now, it's it's from a very little perspective of having visited a couple times. But I've been to music events and concerts there and the the culture around listening to music is kind of coming from a place where you realize that they were free to listen to, you know, things after the, the, the development of music in the 60s, 70s, 80s. And then Russia all of a sudden becomes a country and has access. So you can't really go in reverse and relearn and absorb all of that Mm -hmm. and so it almost it's like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and and Mm -hmm. erasing try try to imagine erasing a a lifetime of growing up and knowing what music development is
3: yeah yeah
2: and that's why i like this band because it doesn't sound like that
3: that's that i have to say yeah just coming off the back of that one of the things about this is this sounds cutting edge to me whether or not you're a huge Mm -hmm. fan of it it's right up there with the avant-garde like in terms of mixing you mentioned electronic and organic elements in terms of just the approach to songwriting in terms of the sounds and the flavours feeling really modern it's one of the other reasons that I I really wanted to bring them to the table here because you do hear that and what what I've heard of Russian rock for example so Russian rock has that (laughs) I, 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 I hesitate to use the word that slight retardation to its development that it makes it sound dead chonky and weird and gammy
0: do you know
3: what I mean? It's just, it's something a bit clumsy. It's a bit, and it's not the only country that's like that. There's, there's certainly, you know, watch fucking big Portuguese rock bands, and some of them are really fucking oddball. But there you've got another dictatorship, that, that, that for a while at least. But yeah, you're right. Some some goes missing and there is a profound bit of natural early learning that even if they do then quickly try and catch up and get zapped forward into the modern world, there's a foundation that's that's just not there for them that's there to some extent for Western culture. Their mm-hmm.
2: foundation was curated for them. Yeah. You know, my mom describes about how a lot of jazz was forbidden in the 50s, but Ella Fitzgerald was allowed, you know. So uh, imagine... I don't know if this is a good example, but like MTV uh, was our big brother who mm. told us what to listen to, and now we don't have that anymore. And we can, you know, go down these long tails of
3: music. Mark, imagine uh, BBC Two was our big brother. Yeah, <laughs> Cliff Richard, mm. and it's, that's kind of more representative. That kind of slightly conservative. We're only going to put on stuff that's really safe. So yeah, it's very curated.
1: It must have been really weird for people when uh, you know when the Berlin Wall fell, and then they could get access to Western media. Just to find that the things that are there are completely they exist without influence to them. I, I guess what was it? The late eighties, late the Wall fell.
3: 89.
1: 89, Yeah, so. Try to think of a band like, the, say, for example, you had the the new the Mode record, the nineteen ninety. That exists without parallel. Yeah, you know that is that's just a completely new thing to you. You can't <laughs> you can't hear the things that have come before it. You just have this one thing, and it just
3: appears, and you are like, Where "The fuck did this come from?" <laughs> and why does it sound like this? Like this is strange to me. Well, one thing that I think is quite interesting, and I am just going to put a, put a recommendation in here. Uh, there is a really good mini podcast series called "Wind of Change," uh, which is a kind of self-contained thing go and have a look for it it's great it's eight parts and basically long story short it's about the song Wind of Change by Scorpions that Mm. was this massive super hit across Eastern Europe Mm. and into Russia Scorpions had a huge following there. They uh, th- still do. Yeah, they still do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And at the time, they were playing like big show. They played a big show in Moscow with like it was uh, Ozzy Osbourne, uh, Motley Crue. Can't remember who else was on the bill. There was somebody else enormous on that bill, and and Scorpions, and they were the biggest of, the, of all of those at the time. Oh, That song went to change. The theory was that it was actually a kind of soft influence scheme by the CIA, that it was written for the band. Mm. I'm not going to tell you whether or not that turns out to be the case. It's fascinating, though, the different arms and legs that the story grows. And the Americans had done this before with people like Nina Simone and stuff in communist countries in Africa. But go and have a listen to that. It's really, really interesting. But yeah, like Mark says, there was a lack of context for a lot of these movements. You would maybe get the peak of it. So you would get like Ozzy Osbourne in Moscow playing a show, you would maybe get Motley Crue peeking through because they were fucking huge or KISS because they're bigger than, than mm. Motley Crue, clearly, <laughs> and better. Um, but in terms of all of the all of the food chain below them, mm. that was missing. That wasn't making it through that filter. So yeah, you get the pech mode maybe or or when they do arrive, it just seems like a bolt out of the blue. Yeah, absolutely. So there are certain genres in Russia that seem to be a little bit more prone to being outspoken right now and one that actually seems to be standing up for itself is is the rap genre there's quite a lot there Uh, in an interview around about 2018 Putin had said that uh, quote, rap and other modern genres of music are rested upon three pillars, sex, drugs and protest and he believed it was the government's job to mould youth culture Um, but obviously with the internet allowing an influx of western media uh, that that was proven really difficult via contemporary uh, via conventional means you know, Russians, especially young Young Russians are very au with things like VPNs. That's that's something they take for granted. It tends to be the older generations that are somewhat more siloed. Hip-hop is like one of it's the most punk rock for our music, you know? Well, that's the thing. For us, though, it kind of lost that a bit. But for them right now, it, it has a weird mixture of that. So there is an artist called... Uh, Oxy Oxxy Myron, Oxy Myron.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, he's really well known for being outspoken. And in
3: 2021, the top artist on Spotify Russia was a rapper called Morgenstern. Um, And he's actually now based in Dubai But enjoys a huge following back home And his tracks and videos uh, Which includes collaborating with Ukrainian rappers uh, Berate the Russian actions And they're literally one of the most successful ways To communicate the counter-narrative to young Russians Because they are being inundated with Mm by their own government but yet they're slightly inured to it do you know what I mean they know that something's not adding up and they are getting certain counter narratives from some of these important spokespeople although it is interesting that the majority of them are not actually based in Russia anymore and can't be for their own safety Um, but yeah as I say the the true victims uh, or the worst affected victims of these monolithic uh, state propaganda systems are the older generations Um, there's another group the electronic duo uh, Ice Peak are also known for outspokenness both before the war, addressing LGBTQ+, issues, and since the invasion. The vocalists uh, called Anastasia Chryslerina, she told political quote, "...a new generation of musicians and artists who speak freely about various topics has appeared, and it seems that some people don't like this because they view it as a threat. It seems they're afraid of some kind of cultural revolution." Now they've since had concerts cancelled by authorities as punishment, but then they've also voluntarily cancelled their own concerts in protest uh, because of the Ukrainian invasion and it's interesting that their fans seem to quite broadly support their decisions to cancel them because they seem to be aware of the gravitas of what's going on and the risk that's associated with opposing the government, but how you know, steps have to be taken to try and make a stand for something. And even some musicians for some of the, the, the older ranks have spoken out. So the Moscow Times, which by the way is now based in Amsterdam, having been forced out of Russia in 2022 because of this, because of this purge of independent journalism. They made a playlist specifically about people who'd opposed the war publicly. Um, a group called DDT had a track called Little Death. <laughs> Uh, DDT were a really big band in Russia in the 80s and 90s You know, before the fall of the wall as well Uh, His lyrics The motherland, my friends, is not the president's ass That has to be slobbered over and kissed all the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And they were charged with, quote, discrediting the Russian military Uh, Little Big had a song called Generation Cancelled Uh, the video showed like, all these rich politicians spewing propaganda, um, regular people living in poverty, and and airstrikes in civilian buildings. Um, and they had to leave Russia in June uh, as a result. Uh, Zemfira has a track called "Meat." <laughs> And she ended up fleeing to France And then released a string of anti-war singles and videos uh, A guy called Boris uh, that you, I'm sorry to anyone that happens to speak Russian That's listening to this, right But Boris Grebenshikov uh, Had a, a track called Vorozhba. <laughs> He was actually one of the founders of a band called Aquarium, who are reasonably well known in Russia. Um, uh, He put a statement out the first day of the invasion of Ukraine Uh, What is happening is true madness. The people who started this war are crazy. They are a disgrace to Russia. Uh, And he's also part of a Russians Against War charity that supports um, Ukrainian children. Um, Diana Arbenina of a band called Night Snipers. big rock group in the 90s as well, quite cheesy. Um, she's refused to, to leave Russia um, despite being quite outspoken and actually quoted uh, this famous line, I was with my people then, where my people and their misfortune were. And that's from The Requiem Cycle, which is a poem about Stalinist terror by a revered poet called Anna Akhmatova. And then another one, one is Noise MC,
0: Uh,
3: Who have done a few things that are really strongly worded, shall we say. They brought out a track called Ausweis. They co-organized a tour raising funds for Ukrainian refugees. They actually also the guy already had previous for a song called Mercedes S Six Six Six, which actually protested about a specific incident in Moscow where this like limousine of of the head of Lukoil hit a car with two women in it, and and the the women were killed, but then the entire story was covered up to protect the head of Lukoil. It caused quite a stir at the time in Russia, and they put out a song about it. So, Noise MC also uh, put out Ausweis, which um, Ausweis is actually the ID that was given to citizens of territories occupied by the Nazis during World War II. And in his latest song, he also sings, Don't whitewash yourself, you're guilty too. Your Ausweis is a multiple-entry visa to eternal hell. You know, so Short Paris are... uh, Actually, they're they're probably one of the more cryptic, outspoken bands. They don't tend to be too on the nose, and they they do talk about that a wee bit, about why they they don't get as direct as that. But there are people in there and out with there, Russians out with there taking a stand. But it's limited in its reach, and it's limited by the Russian media in in its reach.
2: So are they saying that they're not as outspoken in their lyrics? Yeah. Because that's what, from my limited Russian... Um, That's the kind of impression I got. If you translate the lyrics, one thing I really liked about it is how how simple they are, Mm -hmm. but their imagery is very striking. Yeah. And their imagery is is what is rebellious.
3: That's that's very true. So actually, Nikolai, uh, his name is Nikolai Komyagin, that is a vocalist, uh, was quoted in an interview saying, at the moment, I think it's inappropriate to use the language of violence and aggression in art. The aesthetic of sadness and lamentation is more appropriate to convey the message we want to convey. And he actually, and this is another moment of them being very highbrow, but uh, he muses on how going down the philosophical pathway of art addressing atrocity, Inevitably ends with this, this famous thing is Theodore Adorno's musings about being able to write poetry after the Holocaust. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but that he'd said that, you know, writing poetry after the Holocaust is barbaric. I'm, I'm very much simplifying this here, but as it kind of perpetuates the violence and its inability to capture the full horror. So, I mean, even quotes like that, I guess, are a measure of where this band's coming from. Uh, the drummer, Danila uh, Kolodkov, Danila Kolodkov, had been quoted in an interview saying, as long as we can make the art we want to make in Russia, we will not leave the country. Although the band said, clearly at the start, they had considered it. They thought they were maybe going to have to, but they decided not to. And so yes, I mean, going back to what I said earlier on as well, we associate punk rock with protest and this oddball kind of art pop. Avant Pop, whatever, showcases some of the most Compelling and challenging art That I've I've certainly seen in a long time Yeah, and and they don't just Subvert politically either Um, dru- The the drummer Danila He was a, a trained ballroom dancer for over a decade mm. uh, And the band kind of Commonly called Dance their sixth Member Um, Yeah, as much as Putin likes to celebrate Culture wars in other countries Russia's own culture wars are pretty well documented And I think Short Paris Kind of effortlessly blend homoeroticism With a lot of military imagery And I think there's arguably fewer co- few Combinations of things that could more Easily anger your kind of stereotypical Pro-Putin-Russian-male Than blending homoeroticism mm-hmm. With images of the military yeah. Committing barbaric acts to, to kind of hone in on the band a wee bit in particular, uh, just to touch on their live performances, they actually had some kind of high profile shows with Alt-J and The Cooks in St Petersburg, <laughs> albeit I would say they, they pretty safe to say they leave both of those bands miles behind in terms of the innovation, so I'm kind of curious how the audiences reacted. Uh, But they have done some festival stuff in Europe and some smaller tours. I believe Grant, who suggested them to us, uh, saw them in Manchester and said they were astonishing live. Really, really good. And you can see some of their live sets online and they are brilliant. Um, They're also supposedly known in Russia for their kind of guerrilla shows. In the sense that, you know, doing like little impromptu spaces, kind of squats and industrial rooms that aren't set up and little shop gigs and stuff. Choreography is key. To their videos and and that kind of movement is also key live. But there's also an element, a slight element of physical violence, like and, and literal violence. Um, the the drummer I think in one show had his nose smashed on stage with one of the singers' flying shoes that was thrown across the room. And if you go and watch, I, I, I have to. I was pointed in this direction this week, but but if you go and watch uh, any footage of them dancing, including in the videos, yeah. Its similarities to Will Arnett's chicken dance <laughs> in Arrested Development have already been noted um, it's, it's
1: quite good what is, uh, it he, sa- oh, what is it he says the chicken sound he makes is hilarious <laughs> Oh, it's funny, it's really funny
3: do it, do it do a wee AV comparison between Short Paris and Will Arnett doing the chicken dance in the live shows as well, like double percussion, they blend the conventional kit with electronics and stand-up percussion. And I think for me, uh, Rebecca, you might agree, that invited a lot of nietzsche comparisons, the way they do that really powerful, performative, almost like militaristic, percussive yeah, thing.
2: Yeah, uh, almost tribal. Yeah. Um, that's that's the sound that came to mind when I heard the bass drum on this record.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and also I will say with the Nietzsche-Reb thing that the homoeroticism of the performance is is in parallel as well. Uh, the vocalist Nikolai, I think, is, is a natural frontman. He's really serpentine in his movements and I think he's purposefully sexy and there's definitely an element of that in what he's doing. Um, I think the fact that he sings in falsetto so often really contrasts with the confrontational aspects of his performance and when I watched him, I did see somebody that at times fluctuated between a young Michael Stipe and his and his movements and maybe even George Michael. Mm. Um, I know that seems kind of daft, but... Watch it with that in mind Um, In terms of the energy they give out in these live shows And also I would say the use of some really unusual Bowed instruments um, There were hints of the knife Um, For anyone that's ever watched There's a, a, a full knife live set called Live at Terminal 5 And there's a lot of parallels in the stuff that I saw with that. Um, but yeah, despite the challenging nature of their politics, the imagery, and indeed the music, the unconventionality of the music, they still gained pretty reasonable recognition at points. They were the GQ Discovery of the Year in 2019, um, and they won the 2019 Jaeger Awards uh, for uh, Band of the Year as well as Video of the Year for the track Strashno.
2: Jaeger Awards?
3: Jaeger Awards.
2: What's that? Is the is the main prize the Jaeger bomb?
3: I mean, it could be a completely different brand altogether. And so this is different. Different, okay.
2: Okay, then never mind.
3: Never heard of that. Yeah. Um, John Doran wrote about them for The Quietest, describing them as uh, ambitious, bombastic, incredibly pretentious, erotic, thrilling, impossible to pin down, vaguely deviant, fun to dance to and full of revolutionary potential, which is actually pretty good. And he cast them as sort of carrying on in the spirit of provocative art pioneered by people like uh, Sergei Kuroikin, I think his name is. He's also from that band Aquarium. Um, We mentioned Boris Grubenchikov earlier on. And just another couple of moments where they popped their head above the, the, the barricades Short Paris appeared in a short film called Leto in 2018 Covering all the young dudes Which I think you can get that cover online
0: still
3: The song. Mm-hmm. And then significantly had an oh my god, I can't pronounce this Choto Ozobovne. <laughs> I'd have to read it. <laughs> salad. Uh, featured in that show, the OA. It was in the second series of that. Yeah, one. that's a Netflix and, show. Um, super quick on their albums. I'm guessing I've probably spent more time with them than either of you. Correct. I've had I had a, a brief listen through what the most played songs were on Apple Music. Mm-hmm. So I think a
1: lot of that was from the, I don't know the name of it, but the album with the red flag on the cover. Yeah, yeah. A lot of their most streamed songs seem to come from that record.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, we'll get to that one. The first album is actually called The Cherry, uh, Daughters, from 2013. Um, it's really raw. It's bizarrely sung in a combination of French, English and Russian. Rebecca, can you shed any light on that?
2: Um, Russia's fascination with the French language. And English language
3: Is it Russia like fascinated with the French language?
2: Well, in its history, um French was spoken by the aristocracy in the 18th and 19th centuries, mm. and it was the way for um people to access knowledge. Once again, we get back to mm. the topic of a- accessing knowledge. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the language that sort of became the um Way to disseminate information about architecture, science, uh, medicine, and um, and then was considered to be very sophisticated. But then, once again, as Russia's history cycles and repeats itself, they wanted to claim back their you know Russian identity, and mm-hmm. then it was considered. Uh, snobby to to speak French Um, but there are a lot of words in daily Russian vocabulary that come from the French language and Russia was very Russia and France have always kind of inspired each other with arts ballet music, revolutions (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I find it interesting that this band is, um, first of all, has the word Paris in their name. Mm-hmm. Second of all, sings um, songs in French.
3: Yeah, they have a song in this called Saint Tropez as well. There's like a on definite, that record. Yeah, definite fascination.
2: Yeah, but in in the one that we're talking about today, it's Ma Russie, which is my Russia in French. Mm-hmm. So they're comfortably uh, trying to lean Western word, you know, uh, while being in their own place and trying to have their Russian identity yeah. from mm. what I hear musically.
1: Mm. It sounds quite interesting, isn't it? If, if it used to be like the language of the aristocracy and of knowledge, then you have to wonder if maybe their choice to use French sometimes is deliberate with a nod to that in mind, you know, that it is about sharing knowledge or even having a higher class of knowledge than the other people by being more highbrow, I suppose. Mm. Maybe maybe that's a choice, a deliberate, right. deliberate
3: choice. Inversely, did that mean that? Uh after nineteen eighteen, speaking French was something that could get you in trouble.
2: Uh, I don't know about that, but even before then, it, it fell out of fashion. Yeah,
3: mm. so uh, after you know, the
2: Napoleonic Wars, uh, it, it was over. I, Tra- ge- I yeah, guess France
3: as- was less cool after the <laughs>
2: <point>. <laughs> exactly.
3: <In any> <laughs> I guess as a sort of a parallel, like you know, the Khmer Rouge people that even wore glasses that was seen as you know they were part of the the problem. They were part of the the intelligentsia or the aristocracy. So I wonder if speaking French had a stigma that went along with it as well. Um, the album itself it has good ideas that don't always land. The playing also just feels a wee bit sloppy in places, like in that track Tropez, uh, which, which otherwise is a decent idea of a song. It's just a bit loose. So Um, the fourth tracking in Amsterdam for me is the best one there It's sung in French And it's built around This really propulsive Bass line And some really nice Snare stuff Um, It just feels That little bit more Sophisticated than The other things That are on it Um, Some of the later tracks Veer into almost Quasi Radiohead territory And fucking hell Maybe even Muse (laughs) (laughs) Maybe like the falsetto On the track Requiem Sounds really Fucking like Muse let's not look at the parallels between disinformation and <laughs> Ru- <in> Russia. <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let's skip over that maybe. Yeah. Um so Pashka was twenty seventeen, we're gonna talk about that in detail because we never actually said it start. So that the album that we're doing is Pashka, which is Pas- Easter Pascha. Pascha. Yeah.
2: Pascha. Pascha. But but try not to over da- too much.
3: Pascha. 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 Yeah. Oh, that's hell. good. Goodness me.
1: Over my head. Um, yeah, it's in the title of the episode, so people who don't know anyway. <laughs>
2: <laughs> By the way, the, the title of the record
3: <laughs> is uh, Passa. Here we go. I mean, I'm just going to fucking steam into it, right? So, the, the album after that, the one that Mark was was referencing, Tak it's fucking hell, Tak Zakalyalas Stal, Thus the Steel Was Tempered. I, w- I need to read it. Yeah, All right, sorry. okay. um First off, that front cover is fucking brilliant. The artwork and that, I think it really encapsulates a lot of what the music videos in particular try to emphasize. Shirtless, skin-headed man in good shape, very slight kind of homoerotic nature of that shot, swinging this huge red flag just against a, back, a, a black background. It's fucking really simple, brilliant bit of artwork. I love it. Uh, this album also has what I would suggest is the best song overall: uh, Track 4 Strash No. <laughs> this was the one that won the Jaeger Jaeger award and seems to have trended a bit online which maybe explains why it's so far ahead of the other music and Spotify listens, it's such a good video, um, the track itself the, the pitch bent central bassline pulse is really uneasy and they've got this bonkers kind of harsh wobbly guitar that adds to the entire sense of constant drift through the song Um, There's a gang vocal and a bass groove that arrives about 2 minutes in, it's rock solid, it builds into this rising vocal hook. The vocals echoed by the guitar, and when that straight 4x4 four four snare beat comes back, it's just brilliant. Um, that motif returns near the end. It's accompanied by some percussion. Yes. And the kit, like the kit player and the stand-up percussion player, just interweave brilliantly. I think that track is sensational. I thought it really, really blew me away. Um, the eighth track in this one, which is the title track, which I've already tried to say, uh, is a faster one that I think also really hits the mark and is probably the next best tune on here. Um, the falsetto in that one really elevates the tune unlike some of the other points in their catalogue where I don't I think the falsetto just doesn't feel like it's meant to be, that it doesn't work. On the other hand I would say tracks like track two, Polo Malo sorta of highlights where this album falls down. It's an interesting idea, but it's a bit clunky in execution, and the chorus refrain really gets pretty grating. You know, rather than being hooky, it just it just gets a bit much. Um, the 2021 album uh, Yabloni Sad." Uh, Which I believe translates as Apple Orchard Um, This album got some really good press Uh, Richard Foster Who by the way is not the sports scene pundit and Mm -hmm. ex-Ross County Defender um, Mm -hmm. He he called it their He might think this as well But he (laughs) called it their best album yet Thematically Apparently it's supposedly connected to the Russian Silver Age Which ran from 1890 until the violence of the October Revolution That kind of swept all the pieces from the board We in Western Europe probably associate that period With Femme de Secre Or Belle Epoque It's that kind of period um, and it, it, it represents a period in Russian literature and, uh, and poetry of like great significance, especially as regards the, f- the arrival of female voices in the canon. They hadn't really been there during the golden age. So it's not your usual al- album subject. As I said, again, I don't, I don't think the stereophonics are going to be doing that soon. Um, as an album, it feels really painstakingly produced maybe that's courtesy of the fact that it was done during Covid, you know there's a lot more time spent on the, the detail and the polishing so it's quite slick um, it lacks uh, the edge of pascha
2: try not to say the ch too much, just pascha pas- pascha, yeah
3: okay. it lacks a bit the edge of that for me um, the third track, the title track is definitely the standout, you Blunny Sad <laughs> Um, really lyrically striking, and this is what you are saying about their lyrics are really evocative without being too on the nose. So this one I believe translates as, oh my sorrow where is the limit, where is the edge who saw it and where do you belong now and then later on it's got a bit that goes fish searches for a net body searches for events bullet grows more intelligent as the bloodshed progresses, where does the snake slither. And it's it's powerful writing without being too, you know, obvious um, and that's the track that they, they redid uh, with that uh, male choir of veterans as well. But I think also tracks like the fourth one, Nasho dello Zrello, are a bit
0: grating. There's
3: passages of really good percussion in them, but yeah, overall I feel the f- the falsetto in particular, j- again, just doesn't sit as comfortably or as naturally in the music as it does elsewhere in the catalogue
2: Do you know which labels they were on for their discography? Because I noticed that they were on Universal Music Group Russia
1: Saw that, yeah mm-hmm. So
2: I, I wonder... If they were, you know, in, in independent before or in, on a smaller label, do you happen to know their history?
3: I'm afraid I don't, know. I mean, all of the discography seems to be online, which doesn't always happen when that's the case. So on their Spotify, for example, you can get their, their, their full catalogue, or at least the full catalogue that I can read about. Yeah, it looks like it's
1: all Universal Music, I think. Mm. I'm just checking this first album. Yeah, it's all on Universal Music Russia.
2: I found that interesting, considering... If what they're doing is so evocative and controversial mm-hmm. and and bold, um, but they have the backing
3: of a major behind them. Maybe it's the only reason they're able to still do it.
2: That's what I mean. Is it some kind of protection? Mm-hmm. Is it is it uh, possible to do it because of that yeah, protection I mean, if, they have? If
3: you start locking up Universal employees or bands or signings for, for the content of their material, then Universal may start or may stop giving you access to films, it may stop giving you access to certain media, and then your population might get a little bit more pissed off, because as sanctions set in, you're trying to maintain a sense of normality. So maybe rocking the boat with one of the, the companies you're relying on to maintain that sense of normality isn't a good idea. So maybe they do, they are afforded a bit of protection. Maybe it's also not seen as, as, as subversive enough to warrant
1: any kind of... Like red- redaction of their music Yeah possibly Not um, saying no, that it isn't subversive But maybe it's just Well it seems much more subtle Than yeah. some of the other artists You've spoken about And that's obviously By, des- by design on their point They've I said that, so. You know yeah, they've said yeah. that um, Which would probably explain How they can still be releasing records On a major label in, in a country Which is Quite authoritarian,
3: yeah, very authoritarian, yeah. Um, Zov Azera came out in twenty twenty two. It's a six track mini album, I think. Uh, it's listed as an album, but it's not very long. The first track in that. <laughs> good God, help me here. Ku nothingness. Yeah, I'm gonna go for that. Good try. Um, Comes out of the gates pretty fast with this really direct, beaten vocal, but the EP itself or the mini album itself actually spends a lot of its runtime pretty subdued and melancholy. Uh, the fifth track in it, Ohta Volkov, is it's really stompy and theatrical, but it's not the most melodically compelling. Although there's a brilliant piano-led middle eight bit that reminded me of a, of a Glasgow band, a Glaswegian band called Lapsus Linguae, who've spoken about on this really avant-garde kind of aggressive piano stuff. off really soon Then I fucking wish they'd just developed that bit because it's really really good Uh, and a couple other small releases Novo Novo EP which it means new new right
2: yeah Nova
3: sorry (laughs) do it no do it again we want more of this Nova Nova okay perfect 2022 as well Uh, The title track of that uh, is Throbbing um, but the the main Chorus line manages to be totally Mournful and almost grief stricken Like the vocal in it is really Really fucking pained Um, That in particular stood out for me. me Um, and maybe it's a psychological Russian bias. Um, I mean, let's be honest, right? When, when the guy is singing like that and he's singing in Russian, he could be singing about delicious eggs. Mm-hmm. He could be singing about Harry Potter and the Golden Child. He could be singing about anything, but just automatically going to assume that it's like this fucking primal whale into the void. And that is, that is definitely a prejudice on, mm-hmm. my, on the part of my Western self, but... I can't do anything about it Um, And then one more thing they released was in 23 They brought out Tchaikovsky's Wife A single um, Which actually has a really Vangelis uh, synthy quality to it The forte vocals on it I think are really affecting And really emotive It's definitely not a banger But it's so well written It's one of the strongest In a while I think. I think You could really hear These kind of like Big red square theatrics Going on in it And it's so fucking sad Like it, it literally Written You know it's just come out It is literally the soundtrack To teenagers Freezing to death In a trench in Donetsk For a billionaire despot That's what it is It's brilliant In that sense It's really fucking Powerful bit of music um yeah, and that only really leaves us uh, the album itself, the name of which is Passa, <laughs> <laughs> which means Easter.
2: That's my Russian uh, accent, my my Russian in an American accent.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We can go through it quickly, track by track, but uh, just initial thoughts, because, I mean, I I wrestled with the rest of the canon and I'm really comfortable that I think this is their sweet spot. I think there are, like I said, there are, for example, the best song is in the album following it. The stuff before it is a bit raw. I think some of their new stuff's just a little bit too produced. Um, it, it, It leaves them a wee bit cold. I really love the combination in this. I, I, for me, I didn't find it compelling. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the kind
1: of thing that I get quite often. Music, it's bit avant-garde and about post-punk and a bit electronic. I find it hard to to hook onto something, and it's even harder when it's in another language which I don't understand. And you're anti-post-punk. Yeah, I'm not anti-post-punk. I'm uncle post-punk. I keep my hungover brain. You should you should be thankful for that. <laughs>
0: uh,
3: Rebecca, I'm guessing you hadn't heard these guys before. I hadn't. No,
2: no. So okay, this so you... this was a, a wonderful um, discovery and a wonderful uh, assignment to to uh, suddenly devour this record, which was my taste. So you know we don't all like the same things. But
1: oh, that's welcome to this show, yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. It's fine. It would be really boring if you like that. That is sometimes quite boring if you all wow. like and dislike the same thing. Those yeah. episodes are not
3: popular. Are they? They're not popular. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Well, that's t- is a really big artist, like in me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay, so we'll go try track it by tracking this. Lyubov. Lyubov? Love. Lyubov. Lyubov.
0: <laughs>
3: okay, a female Slavic name meaning love. Is that right? It's um, just the word. Just the word It's love. the word for love, is it? Oh, I saw it. And, used, I saw and, it used as a woman's name. And as well. it is. Right,
2: uh, okay. Luba is short for. Oh, yeah,
3: okay. So Nubov is love. Mm. Uh, understated and uneasy intro with these strangled vocals and the hi hat ticking away. Um, it's slapped by this thumping bass beat and and these atonal sequences that come in though um, that pounds away really urgently and the vocal. Never really get. I I, I like the fact that the vocal kind of like is quite fragile and quite croaky and weak, like he's deliberately making it quite strained. Um, but how's a minute 17? I've noted here brings in this brilliant, nasty synth lead. Um, And this track in general I think leans heavily into some of the industrial places with some double kick And it has that big fake Basically the ending is a fake out in the sense that It sounds like it's going to come flying back in again Because it sets it up perfectly And then they just don't do it Mm -hmm. So there's that sense of uh, Mm -hmm. Constantly waiting Nothing, nothing
1: I it's like the like, drum sound on it the, the sounds of pretty much Everything in this record Are, are like spot mm-hmm. on Everything I think Sonically There's
3: quite a kind of Hip hoppy production Yeah like, there's, it, there's
1: some songs That I've written down here They've got like drum They've got like almost Trip hop style drum mm-hmm. Drum beats You know what I mean it, it reminds me of like DJ Shadow or something like that I mean trip hop was just sampled
3: breakbeats. So I mean Oh they fucking sampled Health on this they? Yeah, I can't remember what track it is, but one of the tracks is a sample from Fucking Health. Mm-hmm. So now I dislike it. Mm-hmm, of course,
1: um, it feels like <laughs> the vocal, well is poisoned. It's vocal feels really ethereal at all times for me, you know. And I like how it always sits quite far back in the mix as yeah. well, you know. Like I always try to find the good things in the records. Even yeah, when I the bad. Inevitably so.
3: positive. Man. <laughs> I don't think I am. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, what did you think?
2: I loved the.
3: You, wait a minute, you you above. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes. Uh, actually, I don't know how to say past tense. Loved. Yalu yeah, blue. I love. Yeah. Yalu yeah, yeah, blue. The. Low-end sound that, you know, of this, I hate to say the word boombastic because that's what uh, one of the critics
3: said that you quoted. Romantic. What? Boombastic. It's quotes from Mr. Boombastic. It's (laughs) playing in my head right now. That's also why I don't
2: want to say boombastic. Yeah,
3: because everybody that just heard you say that immediately started going, Mr. Boombastic. So I was just... The low end
2: was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love, so I love the spectrum of, of sound. I think that the record is, is beautifully mixed mm-hmm. and that they made really interesting choices with panning drums mm, because yeah. so many times drums are supposed to just be right in the center. And then I love the, um, the the crazy FM synthesis happening, yeah, you know, yeah. in in all of this chaos funk. And then how the the second kind of filtered synth line is mirroring the bass uh, guitar. So, uh, like I previously mentioned, I love the uh, back and forth between electronic and Electric
3: or acoustic instruments That's brilliant because sometimes you actually They they obviously process things like The guitar quite a lot and you actually can't always Tell what what, uh, Is that a guitar or is that a synth It's it's usually the playing that gives it away rather than The sound. Mm.
2: Yeah and then there's this Really nice little like drum break sample That they bring in. Oh
3: yeah of course yeah, that's a great bit.
2: And it it sounds It reminds me of um, One time I ran um, A sample through the spring Reverb of a VCS3 Putney synthesizer so it i just i don't know how creative they get with their recording techniques but um i would imagine that they do
3: mm-hmm.
2: and i'm very curious to know what are their synths were, were you able to find out
3: i wasn't able, any of no, their I mean, from the live videos you can make a couple of them out but i think it would take your eyes rather than mine to identify them
2: well my ears say uh mm-hmm. or hope that they were running you know and getting creative in the studio yeah, the, the bass, that boom bass drum that they go back to mm-hmm. like that. Um, have you ever seen that viral video of a tour of the, the space, you know, program? And the, the astronaut says, and come on down, we're going to go to the Russian part of the... the sp-. And she's in like an anti-gravity space training no. thing. And then, okay, never mind. Cut this out. I don't
3: want to cut this out. <laughs> the <one it> <laughs> you have to see
2: it. Um, you know, she she's like floating in the spaceship and she says okay and now we're going to go down to the, and then you don't hear anything but then as she like kind of you know floats in anti gravity you hear that <laughs> <laughs> that's all you hear it sounds like the bass drum here mixed with the, that drum sound on saint anger just like a, <laughs> like a Classic. steel tin yeah.
3: drum industrial drum having a party in space <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, i do not want to try and say the name of the second track again can you do it for me please
2: um, stotte osoby Uh thats my very poor pronunciation—but I think it translates to something special about me.
1: I it was something special in me, but oh, okay. you probably know better than me because you actually can speak
3: Russian.
2: Uh, uh, so. I asked my mom, so <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: so there is something special and very distinct about this one. Those, I mean, the synth riff for starters—that really identifiable synth riff at the start—and those old school discordant orchestral hits, you know that. <laughs> Love those fucking stabs And it's also got this really bizarre synthesised human squeal Ah! Yeah, it's a really strange idea But yeah, the serpentine vocal that really winds its way around the percussion in this one The short bridge in it leads into this absolutely class, straight, stompy revisiting of that first set of motifs I love that bit Um, and I get, this is talking about heavily processed guitars, that the heavily processed, nasty guitars build the ending into something huge and mean and then resolve it with a nice another nice straight bop. Yeah, really, really well-written song for me.
1: That lead synth sound sounds like something from a Beastie Boys song. When you shake your rump after the chorus. It goes...
2: The synth stabs that we start to hear is the first on the nose reference i'm hearing a lot to depeche mode
1: yeah that's yeah that's a good show actually aye.
2: but overall i hear depeche mode in the vocal delivery as if we were listening to dave gahan at 45 on a 33 record
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so
2: that, that's first thing that came to mind
1: that hadn't even crossed my mind but yeah now that i think about it that is quite yeah
3: i can hear that that's cool uh, Track 3, are we allowed to call it Tutu or is it something more complex?
2: Yeah, he even sings it in the song.
3: Perfect. Tutu. <laughs> <sighs> 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 is it related to the dance clothing?
2: I, you know, you said that this uh, one of the members was a ballroom dancer.
3: Yeah, yeah. And dance is their sixth member. Like they literally say that. Yeah.
2: Um, I think if you listen to the song, he sings to, to, two to, 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 and that it's a more of a phonetic thing mm-hmm. than referring to
3: the tutu. to, ah, could well okay. be. I still like the idea Of the the kind of The homoerotic ingredient Being in (laughs) Mm. there Um, Starts with a nice Bouncy off kilter uh, Synth riff That contorts itself (laughs) It's really weird Uh, About one minute ten Into this bizarre Jazzy mathy Post punk thing It's really fucking strange turn this this track takes. really unusual writing. Um, that actually reminds me a lot of the band Dead Rider. Dead Riders, a band I've kind of nodded to a couple of times, features an ex-member Todd from US Maple, and they they do this weird electronic mixed with alternative thing, and they are the closest musically I've found to this band thus far. Uh, they, have a, they have a nice little thing in it. It's like a slowly bent string. It's like they pluck it and bend it up, and it's really lovely little effect, um, and the, the track also has a terrific percussive outro where both of the, the drummers are, are trading shots on it, and it's, it's a great way to finish it really high energy
1: I found the synth sound from 240 onwards very grating and it kind of pulled me right out of the song
3: mm-hmm. um, but I did really like the
1: reverb and the vocal
3: uh, the reverbs and the vocals I will say I think are the ones that get right on this album they overcook them a little bit on some of the later stuff
2: uh, in my notes I wrote widest span so far for the vocal spread lush um, yeah
3: lush yeah <laughs> Uh, track 4 a uh, Siberian City um, I, I saw it mentioned In their interviews And I'm, I'm not sure If maybe one of the members Is actually from there I know they met In St Petersburg I'm not sure if that There's some Actual personal significance To that Is about the size of Glasgow, but it's situated in a fucking desolate place, um, a huge coal and metal industrial town. This track is most immediately dancey, I think, with that big throbbing kick and sidechain synth <laughs> that goes along with it. But it offsets that with a really roomy post punk guitar refrain that really opens this song out. It half kicks in, like it half commits at about a minute 10, and it's only about 10 or 12 seconds later it fully commits to this big percussive explosion. It's a really, really good drop. And and, uh, there there are a lot of huge percussive passages in this one, and it's like the lifeblood of this song. But it is also interesting how they mix those big percussive passages with this really fucking mournful singing, like a cascade of mournful singing layered up over the top of it. Um, and then the track kind of noises out a bit at the end, gets really cacophonous. I, I Again, really liked it, liked the energy in it. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I found it quite irritating. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it happens.
2: Uh, oh, my notes are almost identical. Um, that kick, <laughs> pulsating, hard side chained fuzz synth. That descending guitar line that we're going to hear later, yeah. um, repeated in a really sparse in a track.
3: Use the guitars sometimes, but fuck, it's brilliant.
2: Yeah. I mean, that vocal that it leads to, is it not like a choir, like a men's group, or is it just him layered? I think
3: it's them layered, yeah. I think it's the band layered. They do that a few times.
2: Yeah, because it, it reminded me of... um the like you know soviet army the you know the red
3: army singing Absolutely. the volga river boat song that's it see just in, in in terms of stereotypes like when you think of kind of soviet singing you imagine male voices <laughs> in very strong baritone male voices singing in unison and mm-hmm. you know but minor key you know yeah. it just it, it has that quality to it and I don't, I don't think they're oblivious to that at all i think that's deliberate that's a flavor that's in there mm. It does have a nice drum sound But
1: that's all over this record You know that's not It's yeah, not yeah, unique yeah. to this song
3: uh, Pascha
1: <laughs> Very good Oh will we take yeah. that one? Yeah. yeah Okay fucking hell just went for it It feels like a trip hop song This. It does Yeah
3: Yeah, it's creepy, eh? Right? Um, mm-hmm. I think the falsetto in it seems to be deliberately spooky as well There's a bit of throbbing bass in there too It has that, let's say, lazy, druggy hip-hop, trip-hop thing I think it's actually got a kind of purple drank quality to it
1: Yeah, it does feel a little bit, you know, woozy and I was going to say relaxed But I don't know if it's relaxed, relaxed in the same way you would if you were, you know <laughs> it's Quite that relaxed Half your face <laughs> like, There's a recording in this as well is it a real accordion? Or do you think it's synthesized? I don't know. It's it's not high in the mix either, but uh, it is definitely there. And there's some nice guitar swells in it too, and I love a swell. It,
3: they can play accordion because in that live video uh, for Apple Orchard, uh, one of the members is actually playing accordion in it, so maybe, uh, maybe it is real. Yeah. Is it the Jimmy Shand accordion? Goodness me. <laughs> Who knows? Accordion fans. There's a name drop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Track uh, six, and this, oh, here we go. vilikoi Tommy.
2: Translates to noise. Of Great Tom, which is a river. Oh, really? Next to the town of Track Four,
3: Novo Kuznetsk. Novo I've written. I've written it down. Role.
2: Yes. So. According to my inside sources, Mm -hmm. um, this is all in Siberia. And Tom is a small river, a tributary to a larger one called Ob. And Novokuznetsk is located there. And what they're singing is that they've had enough of it. and this is where we hear the repetition of that descending guitar it's so poetically playful of them to to use the imagery with sound and so they have this you know descending guitar line that is in the the great city and then the sound of the river includes that you know that descending guitar line I thought, I thought that was very clever
3: of them. Mm. Um, they, that guitar line is one of the ones that's so heavily processed that I, th- I think you, you could be forgiven for mistaking it for some kind of synthesis. There's some weirdly alien about this overall. It's, it's understated I thought it felt A bit like an industrial version Of Massive Attack mm. In places um, And also <laughs> uh, Sergio Leone points oh. uh, Leone points For the, the, the Kind of Whistling, whistling. The yeah.
2: spaghetti western yeah. whistle
3: Yes uh, I saw it in one of their live shows I saw him doing that live as well Um, and it's also got a really nice shivering synth vibrato, like a little gate that speeds up and slows down and it's fucking lovely. I love that effect. It's really nice. Breaking up the symmetry of like a BPM track by having that change in tempo in the gate. It sounds quite post apocalyptic to me quite
1: muddy and quite moody and I quite like and that's saying something. There's a lot of midi songs in this record, mm-hmm. but this feels like it's an extra layer of moodiness to it, which I quite like. Thanks to Yuri for the river info by the way.
2: Yes. And uh <laughs> at two forty five I hear Depeche Mode come back and okay. it sounds exactly like the sounds from some great reward or construction time again oh, or music for the masses. Oh. I just I hear a lot of mm. uh, I I wonder I wonder if they've ever listened to Depeche Mode, that's all.
3: I suspect they probably have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe those synths just arrived in in Russia.
2: <laughs> no, they were making their own versions,
3: which are much sought after. Yeah. Yeah. Um track 7, uh Razdva 3.
2: Razdva 3.
3: Is that one, two, three? Yes. Okay, yeah, I was guessing. It starts big and slightly weird. Uh, I I have to admit I wasn't hugely into this one to begin with because the fucking goddamn falsetto goes heavily into Muse territory (laughs) again. Muse! For God's sake uh, But then they make Some really bold choices With the writing that Kind of hauls the whole track Back to safe terrain um, Two minutes in Brings in I think it's kind of A really decadent Minor chord descent That elevates the whole thing Almost to like James Bond levels Of like mm. Malevolent drama There's, there's that, that kind of thing to it um it also we- it weaves in some really nice glitchy feedback and keys into this mix i think they've, they've they've probably got to the end of the mix and said it's a bit too clean we need to fuck this up a little bit and there's some good sounds in there i felt it was quite stark production wise compared to the last the record mm. uh, no, the, no, rest, it, the rest of the record i think it is i yeah. think it is but that minor chord the the, the chords they choose mm. there's something baroque or some, something quite classical about it you know you ever seen russian Ark? Yeah, the film all shot in one shot. Uh, it's in, Possibly what, what the
2: palace? Hermitage.
3: Hermitage. Yeah, it, it's absolutely stunning. And there's something about that not not in the plushness and the, the splendour, but there's yeah there's just something about that that reminded me of. it I think I like that there's
1: a sub bass in this, which is pretty cool. Um, or a, a low, a really low bass note anyway, which I, I quite like. Um, and it's the accordion. It's back again, which is nice. Mm-hmm. It, it
2: it reminded me of. Um like I said, doomy, like almost like jam band kind mm-hmm. of doom metal. Um, but it wasn't my, fi- it wasn't a standout.
3: Yeah, I don't think it was one of the highlights. Track eight, Vicello. Am I right in saying that? Vicello. Yeah. Vicello. Um, so. Let me check it. So Vesalai Saprats, is that roughly translated as common sense? And and this is some sort of masculine form of the first part of that, so uh, along the lines of healthy, healthy sense, something like that. I have it as funny. Healthy, funny, funny? Mm-hmm. Is it funny?
1: That's what i that's what it was okay. when I've seen online um, yeah. I don't know if that's true or not.
3: Musically mm-hmm. this one actually really felt quite Bristolian to me and that kinda of port head meets beak, you yeah. know, Jeff Barrow sensibility sort of thing. Um, but the vocals are approached so differently to those folks that you know it doesn't feel like it's an intruder on this record. Um, it has a malevolent... I'd say malevolent, it's not totally malevolent. It has this, this creepy, glassy FM synth clattering away in the background at points and this really prominent electronic kick that sort of gradually bulldozes its way through the mix. Like, the kick... It's got a lot of top on it as well And it just comes right through the centre of the mix And kind of overpowers everything It's a dead strange production choice um, And I don't think the track melodically is the best But in terms of the the sound design on it I think it's, it's right up there with, with the record It takes some really strange turns it
1: didn't really click for me, to be honest, but I did, like the, I did appreciate the kind of trip-pop drumbeat kind of thing that was going on, which
3: I'm, I'm a sucker for. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame that the rest of the song couldn't really hang around it. I me. don't think there's a lot of melody in this one, that's mm-hmm. the thing. It's got a lot of good ideas, but it's not hung on a very strong melodic hook anywhere.
2: It's a good segue into the next song on the record. I think that the, the choice of the track lineup for this record makes a lot of sense. You know, starting out really strong and and announcing this is who we are and this is what we sound like and we're here and this seemed to me just like a album. I don't want to
3: say filler, but I mean it's only this is the thing. This album's only got nine songs because we're discounting the two bonus tracks that are tacked on on Spotify. Right.
2: Um, so even with those two tracks, it's only it's fifty one minutes.
3: Uh, I think actually Minus the Yeah but sorry With the two bonus tracks Yeah 50, it's 51 exactly, So then
2: yeah. it's about 40 minutes
3: Yeah and we're about To talk about a song That's 8 and a bit Minutes long I think Yeah right? so, which is my favourite Track 9 Sin It's S-Y-N
2: Uh, sin. sin. So So in Cyrillic, the the letter is like a B-I and it's like U. Do
3: you sin. know anybody that's had a problem with Y's and I's getting mixed up in their life?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Feinberg. Yeah, yeah right? myself. Yeah, because yeah, my last name is spelled Feinberg. Those of you who want to find the book. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pronounced Feinberg. But anyway, because Russian language has... More more sounds than in the the English and the alphabet has you know more more letters. So there's this funny letter that looks like two letters, and so when you try to pronounce like f- phonetically spell it for English, mm. we're spelling it S Y N uh, for the translation, but it's really um, like soon I can't. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> there we go.
3: Lost in years of being steeped in New York culture, there. Um, so this is this is a fucking monster. This song it transitions through loads of moods. Uh, begins with this huge string drone, and the way that comes in really again summons a spirit—the knife from some of the moments and shaking the habitual where they used some of those kind of handmade you know single string giant it's like basically like cables and they were playing them with cello bows and stuff
2: it summoned me to turn up the volume you know i've been listening to the record and then that comes in and i'm like whoa but and I, that's when i turned it up
3: that's a fucking tone it's beautiful it's so much detail the way they've recorded it as well um eastern scales come in it kind of goes a bit forward to the floor also got that it's sin or sin but it's got that refrain throughout it that you can hear him saying it. do you know what it means no i don't son see i thought it was literally sin
2: no no it it means son and the lyrics are, are very simple but very very powerful um and i think has more than a literal meaning because he's singing no don't look at me no the son does not look like the father and that's there's multiple references to father, papa. I mean the the album's Easter. You know mm-hmm. that's resurrection of mm-hmm. Christ in Russia for Easter. Y- you say Christos vas kres, to one another, which means Christ has risen. And so I'm wondering if lyrically he's singing about his own father. I don't think so. Uh, if he's singing, if there's anything alluding to religion and the religious father. Um, or in a in a sense of, of Russia and then the country. So, I think it's a very interesting choice to end the record.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm. Multi-layered, definitely. Um, it, it, the song itself takes about two and a half minutes to really build up any momentum, um, and it kind of does a little se- se- semi-drop and returns, and it transitions into this much straighter, noisy electronic riff section. Um, It also settles down for a while A fairly kind of thunderous Almost like industrial techno bit It's the time that they get closest to just being An out and out kind of electronic Techno thing And it's fucking banging It's really pumping Can imagine a remix of it really honing in on that bit and, And extending it and after a few of those kind of dramatic phases The song kind of winds its way out And this kind of like twisted chamber orchestra vibe Where I don't really know how many of the strings are synthetic And how many are real But uh, they're all quite gained And it's it's, it's a really semi-classical like It's got this kind of neoclassical thing in it Like it's looking back and it's looking forwards To go back to the two-headed eagle thing mm. From way earlier on on the Russian coat of arms
1: Yeah, it's quite a dancey track, even though it's so long. It does when it gets going. It does feel like an an absolute, like, you know, pumping club song. I guess um, the 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 string thing at the start. That you were saying that's yeah, that's just a lovely touch. You know, it's mm-hmm. a really well chosen Really strange sound. I don't know how you pick that sound right, but yeah, <laughs> like whatever it was, it was a, it was inspired. Yeah, I think it's got a cool structure, which I liked about it. You know, it, it was kind of
3: probably the most engaging song for me on the record. Mm-hmm. I would say it's a big ending. They do end really strong, and I'm glad. That they bookended it in a way that even people who weren't sure about it could at least be like, right, well, it arrives big and it goes out big. Go hard or go home, mate. Yeah.
2: I think the drum in the beginning of the track sounds like a heartbeat. It's very, oh, yeah. it's a very filtered mm-hmm. kind of muffled kick, mm-hmm. which is a nice ending with a song about father and son, and. This is the first record I've ever listened to where I'm listening to the the bass drum the, the whole record and wondering how to, how can I describe it and I like I really like the choices that they made for drums.
3: The the, the yeah. bass like the low end there's a lot of attention paid to. it They've got a very very good balance between the kick and the low synths in this record I think. Um so yeah, I mean well I'll lead off right because I brought this to the table. I've only really found out about the band relatively recently and I threw myself into them in a big way and this was the clear winner for me in terms of listen throughs of their entire albums. As I mentioned there are definitely good points in some of the other records and also some low points. I'm not sure where the band will go from this. They're in a fucking tough spot. I I, I just don't want to speculate. It, It may well be the kind of band that ends up having to leave Russia you know, unless things change very soon. Um, but I fucking hope. I really fucking hope I get a chance to see this band live. Because having heard this and having seen some of their performances, it looks pretty special. Um, and thanks again to Grant for bringing it to our attention. If you're someone that listens to the show, especially if you're on the AAA group, send us stuff. We do fucking listen to it, and sometimes it ends up on here if it really sticks. I, I think this is the the Goldilocks period of what they've done so far, and I want them to be represented here. And I think. As good a record as it is, if it came from a British band or an American band, I'd be like, This is a cool, different record. This again I, I compared them to Dead Rider, who I think are probably equally as good. But Dead Rider don't have the context, the astonishing context of what's going on around these guys and the depth of philosophy that the music seems to be steeped in and just the the the, the kind of punk spirit that it, it seems to um represent. I just what they're doing is is brave. Yet yeah, it's not as explicit as, you know, it's not your literal surface reading protest music. But it is definitely very, very subversive on a whole number of levels. Not just in terms of the invasion and in terms of the military in Russia, but in terms of gender, in terms of sexuality. It's it's just it's a great record. It it takes guts to make music like this. It can't be easy. And I th- they deserve a fucking lot more success. I, I, minus COVID and this fucking abomination of a Russian government, I think this band would be doing very, very well. I think it'd be doing very, very well.
2: I think it's great that they're that they're doing it, and and the the, the music itself is good. With a lot of acts, where can you name me one good song by Pussy Riot?
3: No, uh, I couldn't even tell you what they sound like. No, I, I mean. PC Riot are an interesting cultural totem, but musically it's like yeah. Right.
2: And so with this band, they make great music, and that's what Russian people need. They need to hear and perform, and uh, you know, have great music that they that they can make and listen to freely.
3: Well, Russian artists, writers, philosophers, fucking musicians have contributed to some with some of the greatest works in every single field. So it's nice that important things in Russia are not just reduced uh, to, I don't want to say patronising because Pussy Right are brave and they, they serve a very important purpose and they engage a lot of people especially young women with aspects of politics and they make people aware of what's going on in Russia but they, they don't necessarily fit into the canon of classics and uh, this whilst people might say I'm overstating it a bit, at least is in more in that tradition. That tradition It's something pioneering and different. There's a really interesting interview, by the way, with the band where they talk about how shit they think Mozart is. They think Mozart is shit, but that he was way ahead of their time and they wish the world had more Mozarts, just purely because as much as his stuff is horrible and overplayed now and just a little bit stale, he moved the collective artistic consciousness forward and there's not a, lo- a lot of that. And I think in their own way in a very bite-sized way they're trying to do that time for the Nexus then yeah <ifi Paying noise> next is <laughs> the
2: Nexus next is Nexus Nexus basis. Nexus Get-
1: next is, Nexus is, ξ- Nexus Nexus
0: Nexus
1: A complicated series of connections between
2: different things.
3: Yeah did did we get that in uh, recording earlier on? So uh, Rebecca was saying that apparently some listeners think we're saying next is
2: apparently this listener <laughs> is the, the 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 girl listening in New York who didn't understand the concept of nexus because I don't know your Scottish pattern. I just thought you were saying next is, mm-hmm. but that's because I'm walking around the streets of New York, listening to your podcast.
3: Taxis tootin'. Uh, mm.
2: <laughs> um, so I didn't understand the, the whole uh, concept of Nexus until Chris told me today. Um, Nexus. So, Us. Nexus. Nexus.
3: Nexus. Any Star Trek fans should know
1: that. You Any think? fans of mobile phones from the l a to delete to fight attention, you that as well. <laughs>
2: okay,
3: any fans of mobile phones out there? Okay, this was my suggestion. Um, and the name that came out the tub was oh my god, talk about pronunciations. Um, Bra Willie, Kira- <laughs> is Bra Willie is, Bra-will-y is a, a South African poet whose real name is Curapetse Gossitsile, I think. South African poet and activist. So Thanks, Catalyze, for giving us such a challenging name. It's funnily enough that Catalyze put down Bra Willie and didn't try and write that down. Um, short Paris. Sasha from the band's dad is buried in Smolensky Cemetery uh, in St. Petersburg. He is buried next to one of Russia's most famous movie directors, Alexei Balabanov. Balabanov? Balabanov? labanov who he's he's famous especially for two films, uh, Brother and Brother Two. He was referred to by some as Russia's Quentin Tarantino. Um, yeah,
2: brat, brat is how you say brother in brat. Russian. Okay, and they're huge. They're like,
3: there you go, then. Yeah. So uh, Sasha's dad is buried next to him. Prior to his death, Blabinov, uh was apparently planning a film about Joseph Stalin, depicting the dictator as the godfather of crime. Joseph Stalin, may have heard of him. In 2006, the Christian-led Journal of Creation uh, published research, in very commas, on Joseph Stalin, claiming he'd attempted to engineer a race of eight-man super-warriors. Mm. Um, <laughs> the, the, the crossover, why a Christian journal sought to, sought to do this, um, the crossover is because Stalin supposedly sought to do this to disprove religion or prove evolution or something. Um, and they clearly objected to that and started this hysterical rumour to that end to to poo poo it okay Stalin try to make eight men super warriors to prove somehow to prove that evolution is true <laughs> fuck knows okay not that anyone here is about to leap to Stalin's defence uh, but we will leap to the defence of the theory of evolution um, and luckily it turns out that this entire fucking rumour was bullshit anyway it actually relates to a highly respected scientist at the time called Ilya Ivanov whose work in crossbreeding horses had made him somewhat famous. Um, There were indeed, however, aspects of eugenics that were being pursued in the Soviet Union at the time. But ironically, when it was pointed out in a letter to Stalin, the parallels that the eugenics programmes created with Nazi Germany, in true Stalin style, he basically had them fucking liquidated. Uh, He had many of the scientists executed and a a lot of the rest of them had to flee... Um, Ivanov did later apparently engage In some fairly deplorable attempts At artificial insemination uh, In Africa But the notion of him Engineering a giant monkey army For Coba the Dread Is fanatical Christian waffle Not true In 1971 Nobel Prize winner And renowned poet Pablo Naroda Motherfucker uh oh did a lot of things in his life one of them was praise for joseph stalin for example two poems canto a stalingrado and nuevo canto de amor a stalingrado uh, as well as a series of statements lauding praise in the architects of the soviet union again he recanted those none of them but that is to say none of which was massively unusual for south american communists at the time he later recanted it uh, but it continues to tarnish his reputation as do confessions in his memoirs about what appears to be the sexual assault of a housemaid prompting feminist groups to protest the naming of an airport after him and the rapper Errol Sweatshirt's real name is Tebe Neruda Gositsile, and the Neruda bit is coming from the poet Pablo Neruda and was chosen for him by his father and poet Kiaropatsi or Brawily cool did you copy a lot of that?
1: Yep Pretty much most of it <laughs> I was I got from Short Pass From St. Petersburg So it was Dostoevsky um, his notable, One of his notable works Is a brother's Kaz- Ka- Ka- Karamazov Karamazov yeah,
0: right.
1: Joseph Stalin Was a huge fan of that book um, His copy of it has extensive highlights in the no- uh, And notes in the margins of the book Which has been studied oh, And analysed really? multiple times fucking By these o- researchers ever since So he like Little pencil
3: fucking notes Like mm.
1: wow Like books that get returned to the library Yeah Um so all of then Stalin and Neruda was a fan of Stalin, like you said. Um, one thing that, I, that you didn't say, which I got, is um, uh, his friend, but Naruda's friend was Octavio Paz, the Mexican poet. He was also quite left wing, but they kind of fell out because he became, because Neruda became Stalinist, and Paz was like, "Well, I'm left wing, but I'm definitely not Stalin. I'm not a fan of Stalin." And then yeah, so mm. but everything else is pretty much the same.
3: I thought you would go for a sweatshirt because it was odd future. I thought you might go that way somehow, but sorry, man. It happens it So risk that, of going second does it? happen yeah, yeah Okay Rebecca Thank you so much For doing that episode It was a marathon And I'm sure we made you Work for your money Thanks also To Mr and Mrs Feinberg <laughs> For their contributions In real time I might add mm. In literal real time That's awesome Yuri Feinberg has a book Called The Child of Gulag And Rebecca Yurivna Has a whole bunch of music Uh Rebecca, you want to plug anything?
2: It's on SoundCloud and Instagram as of now. But I'm releasing things um, in the future.
3: Good for you. Nice. LAUGHTER <laughs> um, <laughs> as uh as you may uh, have guessed we have no idea what we're going to do next week mm. because this is a spontaneous thing that uh we rushed into pro- production so that we could accommodate rebecca and get her on the show uh, and i think it was totally worth it thanks very much um, thank you for having me can you uh play coming. us out with some russian please uh, how would you say good night or uh, how would you say uh, have a good one classic american cliche
2: i was telling chris today that everyone in new york all of a sudden the new standard salutation or sign off uh when you say goodbye to someone is have a good one and i said
1: that here for ages
2: yeah yeah no you all all you guys say see you later and i'm like (laughs) you're my uber driver oh, i don't yeah. think i'm ever gonna see you again <laughs> see you later it's
3: the fucking part of scotland this
1: accent from the part new york
2: this is my scottish <laughs> and an american accent part two um yeah no um, i'm just gonna say spasiba, which means thank you and dasvidani.